We've seen Ecclesiastes as one unified message, one book. And last time we looked at the first chapters that show the vanity of life under the sun. It's very clearly explained in the second part, chapters 6, verse 10 to 11, verse 6, reveal that God's wisdom is inscrutable. And that theme of that section is found in chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. And we'll read those verses together. But please keep your Bible, Bibles open as we look at the other, how the other parts fit into that theme. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 can be found on page 556. Whatever has come to be has already been named and it is known what man is and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, when you finally lift up your eyes, you look up out of the maze of death and look to the Lord alone, we sang that in Psalm 121, you will find that all that vain human striving under the sun that we looked at at the first part of Ecclesiastes is contained in the sovereign plan of God. It's a part of the plan. The theme for the second part of Ecclesiastes, that's chapter 7 to 11, is found in those verses we just read, chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. And these verses emphasize the sovereign knowledge and wisdom of God and the inability of human beings under the sun to dispute with God. Although the revelation of God's sovereignty, right beside all that suffering and rebellion we see around us, it, it raises many questions in our minds about the character of the God we worship. God does not try to justify his perfect wisdom. Maybe you've had a child, maybe you are a child who likes to ask why, why, and why. And a patient parent can give answers for quite a long time explaining the why, but the time will come when we run out. Our wisdom cannot explain everything about the world we live in. And God reminds us very clearly in Scripture that he is big and we are small. And our knowledge and our wisdom under the sun is limited. The problem is so clearly explained in Job 28, and when you walked in, you saw the, some verses of that chapter displayed here on the wall. The, the problem is that fallen human beings cannot find wisdom in this life under the sun. And we can never arrive at a comprehensive knowledge of the sovereign God from within the vanity of the human rat race. In the second part of 
Ecclesiastes, the Holy Spirit helps reveal to the world that human beings under the sun cannot find out. You think it's a lot of text to read. There's really just two main points. Chapters 7 and 8, the theme, we cannot find out and we do not know. Chapters 9, verse 1 to 11 and verse 6. The two themes of the second part, we do not know and we cannot find out because God's wisdom is beyond the highest thoughts of the finite, finite creatures that he has made. And I preach to you this gospel. It's the second point of the sermon on Ecclesiastes under this theme that God's wisdom is inscrutable. Inscrutable means it's impossible to explain. It's impossible to interpret. It's impossible to comprehend. His wisdom is inscrutable. We'll see that his judgments are unsearchable. We cannot find out. His ways are beyond tracing out. It's we cannot know. And then thirdly, his purpose is wonderful. And the overriding theme is that no one under the sun is able to find truth without the revelation of God. No matter how much experiential wisdom they may have, even that statement that was just made came from the word of God. The Holy Spirit tells us we cannot arrive to knowledge of God without him speaking to us. And the Holy Spirit then takes a look at earthly wisdom under the sun from four different angles in order to show us that although our earthly experiential wisdom is better than foolishness, it has a tendency to be, it, it is not able to bring us to a knowledge of the truth about God. The more we learn and study, the more we learn how little we know. And so we look at chapter 1 and the first thing the Holy Spirit, chapter 7 verse 1, and the first thing the Holy Spirit shows is that although earthly wisdom is better than foolishness, earthly wisdom has a tendency to be fatalistic and overly focused on death. Under the sun, and you can see that in chapter 7, verses 1 to 14, under the sun we distinguish, the wise distinguish themselves from fools because they live under the shadow of their impending death. And as a result of this knowledge that all will die and under this shadow, the most you can expect from all the wise words uttered in Ecclesiastes 7, verses 1 to 12, is an instruction book on a better way to live as a dying person. Look at how the word better is repeated. It is better to live the few years of your life under the sun with a good name. That's verse 1. And then verse 2, it is better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. A sober spirit is better than foolish mirth. That's verses 3 and 4. It is better to hear helpful rebukes. That's verse 5. To be patient. That's verse 8. To be willing to accept things as the way they are rather than live in the old glory days, like an ignorant fool. Chapter 7, verses 11 and 12 explains 
that wisdom has many advantages and certainly will help you move in the direction of God. But a person has to remember the conclusion in chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Verse 14, in the day of prosperity be joyful and in the day of adversity consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man, and here's the theme, may not find out anything that will be after him. God's wisdom is inscrutable for people under the sun. We cannot find out. And in such an uncertain environment, the Holy Spirit takes us to the next section, chapter 7, verses 15 to 24. And he shows us that many people under the sun have come to the conclusion that it's wise to avoid all extremes. If you look in verse 15, you see that since the, both the righteous and the wicked can, cannot count on fair retribution for their actions, the man under the sun asks, why would anyone insist on causing conflict and taking a firm principled stand on anything. Chapter 7, verse 20 explains there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. The next two verses explain that no matter what you do, you can expect to be cursed by someone. And so the person under the sun, looking around at what he's seeing, he asks the question, what benefit is there to being overly righteous or wise, or wicked, or foolish. Verses 16 and 17. What's the value of exerting yourself in anything? Although we know, verse 19, that wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city, the sad reality of all our situation under the sun is repeated. And here again, the repetition of that theme idea, chapter 7, verses 23 to 24, all this I have tested by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been as far off and deep, very deep, who can find it out? Who can find it out? Continuing the next section is chapter 7, verses 25 to 29. And here you can see again the Holy Spirit is talking about searching and, and seeking out. That's verse 25. And then verse 27, adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things. But from his view under the sun, he can only come to the con sad conclusion that the truth and righteousness has evaded everybody around him under the sun. And then look at verse 26. Under the sun, a person can find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. But then verse 28, but he has not found a lot of righteous men or women. Chapter 7 verse 29 explains that although God cannot be blamed for sinfulness of man since he made the first Adam upright, the searching, somewhat sexist 
earthly wise man must still conclude that one man among a thousand whom he found who keeps that hope of Jesus Christ alive does not characterize the world we live in. We are not a righteous world. We cannot find out the truth by following the good people around us. Because really, under the sun, there is no one in your fallen state who loves to obey God. God's judgments remain unsearchable out of our grasp. And then in chapter 8, there's a contrast between verse 1 and the following verses 2 to 9 that illustrates how unrighteousness and foolish leaders, they regularly limit and hinder any advance of the search for wisdom under the sun. You think you're getting somewhere, you're starting to figure out how things are there, and a ruler will come in and give a command that you have to obey that causes trouble. That's in verse 2 and then 4 to 6. You have to obey it even if it's a, a nearsighted command. He has this authority on earth that also is an authority to ruin wisdom. And since there is wickedness in the place of justice, verse 7 asks, who can find out what to do under the sun? And then looking at chapter 8, verses 10 to 12, we are reminded that under the sun, even in the place of righteousness, where sin is not punished, and hypocrites are allowed to continue to go in and go out of the holy place and receive praise for doing such things during their long life, while those who truly fear the Lord have so many hardships, it's verse 14, that it looks like they are being punished for wickedness. It asks, it makes us ask, oh, the judgments of the sovereign God. They are unsearchable for men. We can't explain it here under the sun. And we come to another conclusion in chapter 8, verse 17. And here you'll notice the theme, not find out, is mentioned three times. It shows us we're at the end of, of this part. Then I saw all the work of God, and man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Welcome to Sovereignty 101, the introductory course that reminds us that our humanist and our man-centered universities and philosophers and authors, they cannot bring us from the earth up to understand truth and God. Our earthly experiential wisdom under the sun has some serious limitations. And without the voice of God himself, this wisdom of the earth cannot carry us up to help us find him. The sovereign God's judgments are beyond searching out. His ways are beyond tracing out. Under the sun, you cannot know the truth. And that's 
the next part, following the same structure as he did in chapters 7 and 8. The Holy Spirit moves on to the next theme by dividing up Ecclesiastes 9 verse 1 to 11 verse 6 into four sections by repeating the phrase, do not know. In the first section, chapter 9 verses 1 to 12, in these verses the Holy Spirit reveals to us that there is very little correlation between how we live and the portion that God has assigned to us. Verse 1 says whether it's love or hate. And so people simply do not know what lies before them. Whether we are righteous or wicked. That's verses 2 and 3. Whether we are righteous or wicked, good or evil, clean or unclean, sacrificing or not, swearing oaths or not, the same event happens to us all. And then in verse 11, it's, it continues. If you are, chapter 9, verse 11, if you are swift, that doesn't guarantee you will win the race. For the battle is not to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. You cannot know what is to happen. You cannot reason from what you're doing now, what you know now, and, and what is to come. Although a lion, verse 4, was strong while he was alive, once he's dead, he's worse off than a dog who's still living. Because even though this life is full of evil and madness, that's verse 3, the temporary pleasures of food and clothing and marriage that you may enjoy for a few days under the sun. They really are all that is left for the man under the sun. Because after that, he says in verse 10, you won't see any of that in the place where you're going. And you cannot know. That's the worst of it. The Holy Spirit explains for people under the sun, it's simply... Difficult to know how to live because you don't know what's going to happen. And then you come to that theme in chapter 9, verse 12, that shows the, we're at the end of the section. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net. And like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. You can imagine the little fish swimming and all of a sudden a net takes them and, and rips them out of the water. He had no way of knowing. He was just doing his regular fish things. We do not know how much time we have to live on the earth because we cannot actually do anything to, to guarantee a long life. This makes us think very carefully about on, on whom we are depending in this life. And then Ecclesiastes 9 continues, the next section, verses 13 to chapter 10, verse 5. And here the Holy Spirit reveals that another factor that makes it very difficult for anyone under the sun to know what is to come is the incredibly destructive power that is in the hands of foolish people. Even a few foolish people can destroy a lot of good. If you see that 
theme, especially in 9 verse 18 and 10 verse 1. A little bit of foolishness is like dead flies in an ointment that destroys much good. And so it makes it impossible for us to know what will come of the good work of the wise. Chapter 9, verses 13 to 18 tells a story of a quiet wisdom one day just saving a city. But then, the next, it's lost because fools despise wisdom. And fools prefer the, the shouting of, of a foolish ruler, and so they, they follow him. And then chapter 10, verse 2 says the two are always opposed. When, when the wisdom tells you to go right, you know what foolishness will tell you to do? No, go the opposite way, go left. Fools are inclined to make decisions based on their hatred of wisdom. Go the other way. And so what is left for the wise man but to remain passive, to remain calm? He loses his voice amidst the shouting of the foolish and misinformed rulers. That's chapter 10, verse 4. Chapter 5, or 10, verses 5 to 7, explains that foolishness is actually like a disease that manages to take over positions of authority in a country that is under the sun, placing wise the wise into positions of slavery and the fools in the position of ruling. And if you think that's bad, it gets worse. Chapter 10, verses 8 to 9 explains that when the wise are now busy doing the slave labor of digging pits and breaking down walls and quarrying stone and splitting logs, even there, foolishness brings dangers that can destroy the work that is being done. Verse 10 explains that the wisdom may help a wise man to ensure that his axe is sharp. And verses 11 and 12 explain that his skills in in charming and his, his wise words that he may speak may give him some advantage in this life. The self-absorbed, blind, mad, endless babble of the fools ends up confusing everything. And it sways the conversation so much so that man cannot know how things will turn out. Chapter 10, verses 13 to 14. And so we live wondering, will the snake bite the charmer before his gifts can give him any advantage? Verse 15, will the fool who does not even know the way to the city, will he be the one to determine the future for our families? Wouldn't it be nice to know what God has in store for us in the next months, in the next elections. But we cannot know. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 6 to 11, verse 2 is, the next section the Holy Spirit reveals that we cannot know because every bad decision that others make will have consequences that change the final outcome of the situation. We may make a good decision that brings happiness 
You see that in the first verses, chapter 10, verse 17. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility. We may make a good decision that brings happiness, but the consequence of foolish young princes that feast in the morning and of slothful, indolent people around you. That's chapter 10, verse 18. That can bring woe to a land. It can bring weakness to your house. So even if you choose to ignore the foolish decisions, just say, that's, that's ridiculous. That's irrelevant. That's contradictory. It'll never work. Let's just ignore it. Well, Ecclesiastes says in life under the sun, that doesn't make the problem go away. And so we can never know what is to come. There's always consequences. Verse 19, if you have bread, then you're happy, wine, gladness, money, able to buy things. Everything we say, even the things we say in secret, verse 20, it will cause someone else to feel or to do something that will have consequences for our lives. And all of us together have in doing things that have consequences on others. Well, under the sun we cannot know. The possible outcomes of your work under the sun are so varied. And the probability of disaster is so great that the only way to stand a chance to survive the wisdom here under the sun that's carrying us in the right direction, how to survive in this life of dying is found in 11 verse 2. You know what? You're going to need to invest in not one or two options, seven or eight. Because under the sun, basically, you cannot know. We cannot know what is to come. And finally, in 11 verses 3 to 6, the Holy Spirit reveals that Everything under the sun is uncertain for us because all things are in the hand of God and his plan is unknowable. 11 verse 6. We can never know with 100% certainty how it is that God gives life, what kind of clouds the winds of change will blow into our lives or, or what factors will affect our success. We do know, however, that everything that God sends has real consequences. So just as a fool's influence will have visible results, so also a cloud full of rain will empty itself out and a log will lie where it has fallen. And then the final part of the don't know section ends with an emphatic threefold repetition again of this this part of the book in verses 5 to 6. As you do not know, that's the first mention, as you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Entering into the world under the sun and pursuing the different human attempts to find the truth 
In the second part of Ecclesiastes, the Holy Spirit reveals that people under the sun cannot find out and can never arrive to the knowledge of the truth based on all that they are seeing around them. The effects of the fall into sin have left all men of every philosophy, of every culture, of every time, of every religion of the world under the sun, incapable of rising above it in their own strength. Even in the church, you will not get answers to all your questions. Your children's why questions will find an end where you cannot answer anymore. And you will have to conclude, I cannot find out why this is happening to me or how to escape this suffering. I do not know why God has chosen to do things the way that he has. I cannot find out and I do not know. So why are we still here? Why do we lift our eyes up out of the vanity, up out of the dead-end rat race life under the sun? Why are we lifting our eyes up to look to God? And the only way that we as Christians can move forward is to trust that the sovereign God is good. And then we read together Romans 8, Romans chapter 8, verses 20 to 21, tells us that we turn to him exactly because he has subjected the world to futility. Did that shock you when you read that? Romans 8, verses 20 to 21. Whether we like it or not, whether we understand it or not, the Bible reveals that the futility of life under the sun is a part of the sovereign plan of our wise, eternal God. And he's doing that to draw his children to himself. God gave the book of Ecclesiastes to show us, put it in our face, to show us the, the vanity of life, of the futility of life under the sun. And then Romans 8, verses 23 and 24 explains why. So that not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, so that we might groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope, we are saved. And then, full of hope, when we, we turn to him, and we, we lift up our eyes to God, God does not stoop to our level, our limited understanding. He doesn't go, well, okay, now that you're looking at me, this is how it all works. He doesn't explain and, and justify his decisions to us in that dispute we may have with him but he just tells us, like we heard today, he just tells us, my wisdom is inscrutable. And so we need to come to him in complete 
and inexplainable trust. Those who turn to God, those who entrust themselves into his plan, will only do so in faith because no human will ever be able to academically or logically arrive at the conclusion from the things they are seeing in this world under the sun that he is the truth because no one can find out. No one can know the truth in their own strength. And so, brothers and sisters, we see that we don't believe in God because we can explain him, go to university and have debates and say, yeah, I won again. We can't even, we don't even believe in God because we've looked at it and we've evaluated things and we think, yeah, he's very valuable for my life. But we believe in him by the grace of God who makes us eager to throw ourselves in complete trust in his perfect plan. And that is the work of God, says Paul in Romans 8. It is only by faith that we know he exists. It's only by faith that, that brings us to believe that the Bible is true. It's only faith that will allow you today to accept that you cannot know and you must trust in him and say, yes, that's the word of God. The message of today is only believe by the grace of the Holy Spirit. Our faith leads us to believe that his purpose is wonderful and we can trust him. And so we arrive at a major conclusion in Ecclesiastes. True believers will have a complete and a radical trust in God that is not based on the rational explanations that are cobbled together by men and women who are trapped under the sun. And through the book of Ecclesiastes, the Holy Spirit brings us to the conclusion, one conclusion in Ecclesiastes 8, verse 12. There it says, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, explain that, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear him. No explanation where that yet came from. Because this trust comes to us through the Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit replaces our urge to doubt and to dispute with the one stronger than us. He replaces that with the reaction of Romans 11, verse 33 to 36. We see the sovereignty of God. We see we need to trust in him completely. And, and we don't ask, well, what's that about? We, we say, oh, the depths of the riches, of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. For from him and through him and to him are all things forever. Amen. And then our hearts will be properly prepared to serve him every day in faithfulness and to complete trust in, in, in his wisdom. That's the stance, that's the position. A child of God who knows that God is sovereign. 
And then when we look back at the chapters 7 and 8 and 9 and, and 10 and 11, we see some of the wise things that are coming in there, how to live better. It, it changes it. Then we can begin to, be, to live our lives right now knowing that the blessings we have are from God. Chapter 7, verse 18. We won't have to fear the day of our death. When we trust God's plans and believe that it is wonderful, we'll not be afraid to sow our seed, chapter 11, verse 6, and be active in, in business. Yes, our human limitations make it impossible for us to fully comprehend God and his plans. And yes, the fall into sin and foolishness has destroyed much good work, and it has taken away a lot of our certainty. Yet God is wise, and he is gracious, and we know this because he has told us this in his word. And the Holy Spirit makes this clear to us in the conclusion to the book of Ecclesiastes that the Lord willing we will look at next time when we realize how little we can find out and how little we know, then we come to God on our knees in humble trust and submission, simply praising him for his faithfulness. Amen. And let us praise him for his faithfulness by standing up together, if you're able to stand, and sing together hymn.